Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Jason Bradley, who is the sole owner and producer of the Everybody Shook YouTube channel. And on this YouTube channel, Jason explores population control and traces the origins of these ideas from Victorian England through the United Nations and how these ideas are shaping so much public policy from environmentalism to abortion, gender, and international politics. Very fascinating stuff. His videos are excellently researched. There's a mixture of narrative videos where he lays out all information and then tons of primary documents. So you can see that he's not making this stuff up, that this, these ideas about population control have been running through popular culture for a very long time. I find Jason to be a wonderful guy and I'm glad to have him on. So without further ado, here is Jason Bradley. How are you today, sir? I'm fine. Good. I'm uh yeah, I'm in love. Uh nice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. What about you? What's uh, your romantic doing... life looking like? Oh, married for eleven years, so Oh geez, still in eleven love. years. Yeah. Love. We... Yeah, but we've got new cats. So that's the new love in the house. We've got oh. we've had cats for a year now. So those are the the babies around the house cats for a year are there they're year and a couple of weeks old then something like that no so we had like my wife uh was going to work and found some kittens in a bush last year and that, gave it to a person are. to raise yeah right they and don't then, grow uh, in trees but they do grow in bushes <laughs> in bushes yeah we got we got two brothers and they're pretty much you know the stars of the household yeah 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 i have a couple of cats as well There's yeah it's always a in program i remember when i first started watching your show i was like why are there cats in the beginning and then it's become one of my favorite parts of your show over time you know <laughs> you like oh what it. are the cats it's up to yeah. yeah what are they doing <laughs> yeah just tune in for that and then get out of the rest of the conversations only wanted to see what the cats were up to today yeah yeah just joke that's fine what what's going on with your channel Oh, uh, you know, I'm uh, right now I'm working on a couple of videos, but um, you put a lot of work into your videos. Yeah, it takes a long time to do the stuff. And I'm you kind like of switching going and then back and forth and then like rats eating each other. <laughs> what do you mean? Like mice experiments? Didn't you do one on mice experiments? Uh, well, the one on Ben Skinner might have had some some mice experiment stuff that like in the in the behavioral science side okay. that that stuff was really hard to watch like the there was like it's crazy how like today we see science and scientists in this like kind of like this glowing radiant light but the Do history we... is like weirdos in white coats doing crazy shit to people <laughs> and animals and it's like really it's a totally different image than you know and when you watch the old footage of like the pavlovian labs and stuff it's yeah it's it, it's that stuff's pretty brutal yeah yeah what's your purpose with these uh very informative brain breaking videos that you're making you know really it's just been a uh, kind of logging my journey of understanding, you know, just trying to explore and understand what's what's happening. Uh, I started asking questions 
a long time. It seems like a long time ago now, but it's only just been a few years ago. And, you know, some of the answers revealed that I, I kind of didn't know a lot. And right. I've just been kind of digging into this whole other side of history that just never came up in the rest of my, you know, I've been exploring history for most of my life. And it's been like a passion since I was like 12. And, you know, in your mid thirties, when you find out that there's just this whole big blind spot that you have, it was kind of an awakening moment and just been kind of digging through that ever since. And then trying to explain what I was finding to people was impossible. So I just thought the only thing I can really do is show them. And that's, you know, started me down this path. Really, I, I have your, your video, uh, like your documentary to thank me think for that because while I was still trying to figure out how to get this stuff out of my brain and into other people's brain I was even like writing you emails like hey there's it's all eugenics man <laughs> you gotta help me tell the story but in watching your docuseries it really uh you know your show your show versus tell was I think the biggest like aha moment I had in the like oh well I can just take these movies and take these guys because they're all saying it and I can just show it to people. And then the rest was just figuring out how to, how to work the software and, you know, find my voice as a writer. Hmm. Hmm. What's your background, your own history then, uh, other than a student of history since you were 12? Uh, all kinds of different jobs and stuff like that. Um, really I've been working since I was 15. So I've been working full time since, uh, I got like a early release from high school because my financial situation, you know, just living on my own as a kid. And then uh, I was a painter for a long time. And then, you know, typically if you're going to make it on your own, you got to have two or three jobs because no one is really like hiring full time ever. So hmm. just two or three jobs at a time until I got into like the beverage industry. And then I, uh, from there, I was, it was like, kind of found my expertise and then i was doing a lot of like uh like program consulting like oh. helping people build their bar programs and stuff like that and then fell into a really awesome position as a regional manager for a cruise line and kind of got to run my own show for a little while and then unfortunately you know uh covid kind of sank oh. the cruise industry first so yeah. huh. that's what happened to that career but uh now you know I, I went back to painting after that and then you know now it's mostly just like consultant stuff you know like policy writing and reading and program implementation management for beverages or, like that. or paints so it my specialty is in beverages, definitely. Like, okay, uh, what does a beverage mean? Like a soda or an alcohol it, it, or uh, all, just all anything things. fluid that ends up in a cup or a mug, sometimes a vat? So, like, every restaurant is really making, paying the bills through the liquids. You know, you're, whether it's like McDonald's and you're buying a Coke or you're at a bar and you're ordering a drink, that's how you keep the lights on. So, what I've been able to do is over a long career is build the relationships and understanding of like every facet of a bar. So everything from the ice machine to the soda gun to everything, I'm pretty much, you know, I've got certifications a mile long just on all of the equipment. And so it's like 
partial technician and then partial like a you know it, it's almost like a historian you you kind of have to like know the history and know the trends and know where things are going and you know be able to you get to explore the like the history of of what people have been drinking and why and then you kind of determine what they're going to be drinking next and then what works okay. and what doesn't yeah that's where i kind of got my my specialty but um yeah i've done a lot of i've helped a lot of programs that are not specifically bar related you know a lot of stuff just comes down to managing people and like that's in my current role what we're what i'm doing is kind of looking at information management systems so it's like systems of managing information um to kind of find truth in in an ai world so oh okay yeah all fast not in flu stuff. fluid truths well we're getting into a point now well we've been at a point for a while that it's tough to find what is true it's like um even in my own work um i can i can show people it coming right out of someone else's mouth and then it's still hard for them to even accept that that's true but now we're going into an age where you can't even show people the things coming out of someone else's mouth because that can be generated in ai oh okay. you know you yeah. can fake this stuff like yeah. it's weird it's like we're getting into this whole new space to where um it's no longer men trying to convince other men what truth is it's going to be man convincing ai what truth is and then ai teaching all of the men so the hardest part is finding like the angle of trust like which sources to trust and how to determine these things right what's that wikipedia it's just posted on any controversial video that i make like wikipedia it's the authority now and why uh, isn't is it the funny? authority because it says it's reliable it says itself that it's reliable yeah so like that's the it went from something you couldn't quote in school to something that everybody has to abide by <laughs> Very, very, very smoothly. It was a very smooth transition into totalitarian control over information. Kind of novel. That's, you know, I've never heard it put like that. Like, yeah, you can't, it's like, if you use Wikipedia as a source, people look down their nose at you. But for sure, like if you see a video that it, like if, if it, it, I specifically don't mention things in my videos, like I try to stay away from mentioning anything to do with climate. Or if you say okay. the words climate change, it's like, boom, you get a, a warning oh. slapped onto your video or okay. like I've done like maybe five videos on uh, population control and I've maybe said abortion a dozen times because abortion. if you talk about abortion, you get shut down, you know, but it's like one of those key words you can't say. <sighs> abortion. Uh-oh, there goes this abortion. video. Yeah, abortion, pornography, uh, and then the gender stuff. It's downstream from abortion and, and pornography, I think. Yeah, I've tried to stay out of the gender stuff as much as I can just because the people you are don't have a gender? so much. Well, you, you're in beverages. You should have like plenty of gender fluid. You must have proficiency in it <laughs> more than most people, right? I would say like, yeah, I mean, I know the joke, but it's it was crazy watching what happened to my staff. Like as I grew into like a management position, you know, like how competency just kind of started dwindling away and then my staff started changing and all of the people who hmm. it's like you could like i didn't know it then because i was i was working 70 hours a week so who has any time to like 
you know, research gender ideology or know anything about queer theory. You know, I've got a shipment coming in and I got two boats going out next, you know, there's nothing, but I just saw it. It was like a tide change. Like first came the hairstyles and then came the bad attitudes and then just came this complete incompetence and then yeah. just com complaining their way into advancement. It was like huh. their their idea of getting a promotion was complaining that they didn't have a promotion. The idea of earning one was just completely foreign to this generation. And yeah, I was, no, no. I'm not looking forward to ever getting back into uh, a management position over youth. Like entry mm. level, entry level workers are just it's it's terrible. Well, you need to you need to go after those 15 year olds who have hard knock lives who. Uh don't have uh, the choice uh, or the chance to uh, have, uh, contract affluenza. <laughs> affluenza. We were the most susceptible to that, like programming though. Like when I was a kid, cause I had a hard life, they had me in like, maybe I've been in at least a half a dozen study groups and you know, they mm. would take me to those churches where they would literally be trying to like coax Conducting. you into being gay. Like it was like this oh. whole like gay culture thing where really like, it was just, yeah, because like we were, it was like. Did you uh, fall for it? No, no. Okay. I mean, well, there was. Wake up and I have, I have a be very engaged in pederasty, like, not intending to. <laughs> That's going to get us stank too. We're, we're just having a, we're having a spicy show. Well, we're not off yet, are we? Is it? Has it started? <laughs> yeah, it started. Oh, geez, I thought we were just warming up, man. Oh gosh. Okay, well, say love you. Um, you you have yeah. not ex expressed any personal information, but I can take it out if you want. Oh, it's no worries. I, I just, uh, yeah, new at this. This is my second conversation, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, a stranger. It's hard because I know you, but you don't know me. Like, I listen Why, to what, so many of your conversations you know? and stuff, but. How do, how do you know I don't know you? I don't know. Maybe you do. Yeah. I mean, are you <laughs> that terribly alien to me that I wouldn't? Well, no, I just mean like, you know, you, it's funny, like when you listen to someone for hours and hours and hours of like content and stuff, you feel like you have like an understanding of their ideas or mm -hmm. like their background and stuff like that. But all of these pod podcasts are creating like a very one-sided relationship, you know, like you have all of these people that have a very like deep understanding. It's got to be weird for you. What's that like when you meet like a fan in public or something like that? Is that kind of like a... Like they see layers through through you, and you're just trying to take them in in the moment, or they just they disappear. All that disappears within like two or three minutes. Awesome. And if it remains around, I, I ignore it with extreme prejudice until it's gone. There you go. That's like the way it's... to be. Yeah, myself. I uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't really talk to too many people. My life is kind of uh, consists of a lot of books, a lot of you know writing, and a lot of uh, yeah hanging out with my wife and my cats. Yeah. So you're kind of, are you switching gears now and, and you're approaching midlife? You're going from businessman, entrepreneur, uh, captain of industry, um, uh, lord of liquids to an intellectual. You, you feel yourself like changing gears or no. is that always your intellectual life's always been there? I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'm, this is just kind of like a really passion project for me it's just okay. a it's more of a calling than a hobby like i don't know how to stop is the thing oh okay you know, i just it's like um i've gotten to a point now through research that i feel like i can't even have a normal conversation with people 
because it's like I uh it's like I have to fill them in on 30 years of back history before the actual conversation they want to have makes any sense at all. So yeah. my whole life has kind of become about getting all that information out to people so I can just have a normal conversation and we can all be on the same page. Okay. There's you know? population control. Is it like what what's the what's like the point where the conversation actually begins? Or, yeah. Well, there's lots of conversations happening right now. I think the hardest thing to get people to recognize is that they are all the same conversation happening mm. in different aspects, you know? So it's okay. like a tree. And uh, if you want to imagine, you know, population control is like the trunk and then the, the conversations that everyone has, you know, whether it's mm. gender theory or oh, what is woke or all of the cultural stuff is downstream from from that. It's goes right down into our education it, it, you know there's often like this um this like conspiracy theorist meme thing you know where people are like oh you're attaching all these different strands and saying it's all connected but they're not really thinking it through because when when you approach anything from a foundational you know knowledge everything is built on the foundation and the foundation is human resource management and that's where we're at it's human resource management and um the relationship to between human the the population of human beings and how many resources are available to them and every other conversation that we're having culturally just revolves around that whether it's politic politics or economics yeah economics especially and 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 everyone has, is pretty seated in their own camp and it's kind of become like a uh like a team sports thing. And I just, I'm not into okay. that at all. My whole, no. my, my whole path has always just been trying to understand. And I think once you fix a position, you are no longer capable of understanding new things. Wait, what? Once you reach, reach a position, you're no longer able to understand new things. Yeah. Maybe that's where everything said, has but... to be. Everything has to fit into your assumptions. Then, Isn't that, well, once you establish a point of view, you okay. become, you become fixed. Like, so I'm still listening. I need to deal with the cat, but I'm still listening. Yeah. No, yeah. No worries. Um, so like, say like, uh, how to put this, it's like, um, we're all looking at the same thing, right? Like, uh, it's like, like that old parable of like the the blind man and the elephant you know one's holding the trunk one's holding the tusks and they're all they're all it's the same thing but they're holding on to different parts once you hold on to that trunk and you've established like no nah, this thing is long it's squishy it's it, you're like you might encounter the tusks but you won't even know that the tusks are related to the same thing because you're you're fixed on this perspective and it's like even if you try to encounter say there's five perspectives on this one item all five of those fixed perspectives are still missing the point of view of the elephant itself who is looking at these five people touching all over it wondering what what's going on so it's like a, i try to not become part of it but if i can i want to whenever i'm analyzing a situation be above it like if i if i can like to not or outside of it to look you know, if they, I don't know if that makes Holistic sense. Holistic knowing. Well, just not, just not picking a side, you know, or saying like, like the idea of thinking that 
I know what's right or wrong has has prevented me from from growth at different points in my life. Hmm. And I, I'm able to acknowledge that um, because later the information I get on that subject changes and my views change on that subject. But while I was fixed in, so like, like, like take like a, like a debate you have quite often is would be with like the gender debate. Like it's hard to shake someone from a fixed position, whether it's your position that they're trying to shake you out of, which in my opinion is a little bit more informed. And that's, you know, I definitely lean in that direction, but on to get them to change their opinion would mean abandoning their entire worldview. It's like, once you kind of pick a, a team, it's like you have to almost sever from your entire orientation on life. Like all, it's like when, when high school students go to college and, and learn like everything I, I learned in school was a lie and they, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. reorientate yeah. to whatever movement is teaching them the truth, you know? And then if you get out of college, then you find out, all of the professors were lying to you. Know, like it's all orientation. It's hmm. like where you're at in the moment. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's it's difficult to explain, but I, I essentially, I just don't. I think that pro and anti mindsets are um, to be avoided at all costs, whenever okay. possible. Well, hmm. so so you're neither pro transing children or or anti-transing children you're completely neutral about children being convinced that they're in the wrong body or no. children um being stuck in the wrong body and needing help uh fixing that body to align with their souls or vice versa no no uh, okay. you know it's it's tough whenever there's like five conceptual go ahead conceptual what Oh, I don't know. You're raising your hand. I didn't know. Well, if you I'm, I'm saying like, so you're trying to ex abstract yourself from the minutia of well, just that one. Like, let me explain meme. it like this. So like maybe this, this conversation might help. Like, um, one of the times I had this realization was during the pandemic, I was trying to explain this to one of my oldest, like what's happening to one of my oldest childhood friends. And we were talking about it. And just one of the things that we were really upset about was the shutting down of free speech. And not only were they shutting down free speech, but they're simultaneously uprooting all of these classical ideas that society is built on. And we're, you know, we're, we're both really, you know, strong, independent thinkers. And, and it really bothered us that they're kind of attacking the, the foundations of our entire worldview and it's like you know we're I'm, we got into talking about you know greek philosophy and all this stuff and then maybe about two hours later into the conversation we started talking about the like the how how bad pedophilia is and like how rampant it is in society it just came up naturally and then i kind of had to take myself you know, down a peg for a second and realized that most of the people I was just talking about, like defending their ideas with every fabric of my being were by today's standards, pedophiles, like clearly, you know, they were, they were having sex with little, like having sex with like boys. Aristotle. Yeah. All through Socrates. that, that culture, but even, you know, up through, um, you know, it's not as known, but, uh, uh there was a lot like in like Victorian England, and, you know, like where a lot of 
a lot of education was happening at these seminaries and and at the you know academic institutions that were boys only and these boys only institutions developed their own systems and like pedophilia was running rampant through them like so like julian huxley in his memoirs talks about um you know when he was going to the eaton school which eaton is like one of the like preparatory schools to get into like oxford and like you know that's like the high highest intellect people that you know you can find in any generation went to these same colleges well he was like they at that school they had a basically like uh, the younger boys that came in were what they called fags. So he would be your fag and okay. you would have, that was the actual terminology he used. And he, so he fagged for people. And then when you become an upperclassman and you rise up in the social rankings, you have people fagging for you. So they do things from like sharpening your pencils to um, solder. Sharpening, sharp, sharpening your pencil. Yeah, like it's yeah. it got pretty brutal. And like that's one of the like I think JBS Haldane's biographer said that that's one of the reasons or you know, it's hard cuz JBS Haldane never talked about it, but he left Eaton School um rather suddenly his grades dropped like all of the signs of sexual abuse were taking place and then he left that school for an inferior school and it just massively improved went on to become one of the you know greatest thinkers of all time but it, it's like it's impossible to you know it's 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 like become it's like it's cultural to these to the intellectuals of of these eras and like i said i'm opposed to them tearing out these intellectuals ideas and doing all this stuff but at the same time it's weird like they had this weird justification in their mind of do unto others what has been done unto me you know mm -hmm. and it's just this really strange i don't know i guess the best way to put it is i just try not to sit in judgment i try to i try to come at all all situations from a place of trying to understand it and I think when you already have a predetermined judgment, it prohibits some level of understanding because there's often deeper levels we're not understanding. And, okay. you know, no matter how much you research something, how thoroughly you get at it. Now, all of that said, um, my instant reaction is to defend defenseless people, you know, children, especially. It's like, you know, I have you know, my own emotional responses to things that I see. And um, those emotions do drive my logic sometimes. But when my logic's driving, um, usually that that part of my personality is trying to actually stabilize, steer away from fear and steer towards understanding. And that's mm -hmm. really what I try to do in my work is just trying to stay clear of fear. I'm not selling any fear. I don't want any. You shouldn't ever come away from something more afraid. You should always be, you know, if you understand it, you should be less afraid. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Well, there's some, you don't shy away from the WTF moments um, in your explorations of history. No, you know, like definitely not. You know, so 
What was your favorite one? Have you have have any actually hit it's you your, so it's far? Your, it's your um your series uh mini series. I don't know how you would define it, but your stuff on you know, Malthusianism, on eugenics, on uh, population control. I think it's really powerful. It was really interesting because I oh, watched thanks. that right about the same time that I interviewed Professor Edward Dutton, who is, nice. I'm, I'm interested in, in your take on his ideas because his idea is uh, that IQ is precipitously declining and that um, the only really way to fix that is through breeding um, because it's being bred out of us. Uh, from his point of view on a evolutionary uh, biology kind of take on it. So it kind of, you know, you have somebody saying, if we don't do this, we're going to be stupid. Like yeah. society's just going to, and, and it's been falling, blah, blah, blah. He's got a really strong case and it's pretty out there because you're like, well, hold on. What are we really talking about? And then you come along and say, okay, well, this is where all these people have been talking about for a long time. Like they've. Yeah. That's a hundred year old conversation. He's had. They looked at, they looked, well, hundred two, maybe 200 years. They, they looked at, you know, the mostly British people, would you say? No. Or just Europeans? No, I, I just, I, I, I can only read in English. So my okay. my view skews towards um, you know mm. the the British yeah it kind of started these area in in these areas but I I also I can't read German I can't read French you know. but it was basically it was a it was thought that was brewed in the late colonial period or during the colonial period where it, the white man or the European. Um, took it upon himself to control the world, to rule the world, and to think in terms of population control, think in terms of mass society. Um, that was preceded, I guess, like, and I'm not a historian, this is a, probably a very bad way to put it, but pre prior to the explosion of Europe into colonial powers, it was ruled by Catholicism and then little fiefdoms, little kingdoms and stuff like that. And so like the, the size uh, of the universe was kind of contained. And, and I guess on top of that was Christianity, the Pope or Eastern Orthodoxy. So there was like this kind of worldview on what people were, what the people were, what all these different people were, but there wasn't, it didn't break into this kind of rationalistic thinking in terms of like sociology until the scientific revolution till the enlightenment, right? So this way of thinking owes itself to certain assumptions and from a certain time and place. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you know, it's hard to say because our, you know, our understanding of what is or what was is so incredibly limited. Like our, like even the, the, mm -hmm. the top scholars in the world are missing just, you know, so many, so many books just burned. You know, so many, so, so much has just been lost throughout the span of human history. So of known knowledge, I think the turning point that you're kind of pointing at is, um, you know, the emergence of humanism. And like mm -hmm. when we had like a, you know, there was, there was a, like a famous linguist who was able to look at, you know, the, the, the Pope's declaration of supremacy and question the translation and then all of a sudden it turned out that like it wasn't really decreed from god and kind of proved through the use of scholarship of just really dedicated scholarship that the pope was kind of full of shit and has been for a couple hundred years since this change happened it was like a misinterpretation that got you know 
forced on papal these authority or what yeah it was like supposed to be like the the pope got his authority directly from god and and it's been a really long time since i've read about this so i'm probably leaving out details but it's like the very beginning of like what led luther to you know his understand it's like the ability to question the church and and have the academic aptitude to prove your your point it's kind of where all of this stuff kind of starts sliding from because once hmm. the trust was broken you still have you know 100 200 years of really dedicated christian scholarship that are advancing these ideas but you know they were the trust had been gone and the further that man emerged into like this study of man which is kind of you know just what humanism is based in um they you know that's where they developed you know um evolution and evolution by natural selection kind of permits you to have an existence without a god and that's where they started kind of developing their own ethical societies and those are all coming out of this exact same period as a neo-malthusianism which is you know, there's often a confusion between Malthusianism and Neo-Malthusianism because it's, you know, Malthus made the observation about, you know, resources uh, being finite and man outgrowing them. It was basically making the observation from a higher perspective of, well, maybe we're trying to solve problems on the ground that aren't really problems that are happening on the ground. Maybe we need to scale up and realize that we're part of a, a longer term cycle. And that we need oh. to start addressing that cycle. But he had never had, like, in none of his Programs. work, and he published multiple volumes, he, like, was saying, like, maybe abstinence is a good way to prevent overpopulation, like, uh, you know, chastity, things like that. Um, it wasn't until uh, the 1870s where people really started pushing for the idea of, you know, birth control or actually controlling the numbers of population because, mm -hmm. you know... Mm -hmm. You have famine happening over here in India, and all of these people are starving. And then you have uh, people going on trial for asking the population question in, in Britain. And really, that trial is where all of this kicked off. It was like this this hotbed of like, we could have prevented all of this suffering if we had have acted sooner. And then they started, that's where, you know, Neo-Malthusianism is where all of this kind of rolls downhill from. It, all the way up to the WEF now. Like the bugs and the pod and um, yeah, propertyless society. It, it just it, it, so humanism itself. I guess it puts its faith not in God but in rationality in the process, and that's where you get this, these runaway bureaucratic organizations. This expertiseism. The scientism, yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know what, all I can really track is, um, like, I don't know where all of it comes from, you know? And I think it, depending on who you're talking about well, and when you're talking about- It has about, to come from human nature. That's what I'm saying. It's probably hubris, right? I, I think it's probably a something. really simple- Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just arrogance. know, you know, as far as the method and the motivations behind the people- I really, I think I enjoy history so much because they just kind of, back when, before everyone was literate, they were just telling it like it is. They were saying it, they, they were saying exactly how the best that they could explain their thoughts to you because they wanted to you to know what they were actually thinking. They weren't obscuring it and all this techno speak and all this BS. Uh, so you can actually go back and read, you know, uh, Felix Alder 
and 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 see what he was wanting. You can read Julian Huxley and see what he was wanting, but those are two varying uh, definitions of humanism. Same thing with like, um, you know, Dewey, like he had his own kind of interpretation of humanism. Like humanism is kind of an abstract ideology that it, it kind of wraps itself around. Yeah. This belief in filling the, it's like you're filling the God, what they call the God shaped hole in mankind in the hearts of man uh, with knowledge and the belief that your enlightenment is, you know, you are bringing the light to a dark world. It's yeah. you're not seeking a light that already exists, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. And, but there's always, uh, this is one problem. Well, one actually, uh, strength of the progressive, uh, MO is that it, it's always interpreting, it's always seeing the bad, you know, like, like uh, with regard to postmodernism, like the critique of rationality, it's really easy to say, well, you know, we had all these rational, these supposed rational enlightened men, but they're mm -hmm. all pederasts, you know, they're all colonialists, you know, they're all racists, you know, they, they're all like steeped in all these human things. Like the, the, the human is still a part of the humanism, you know? So, right. you know, and then, and then the progressive answer is to like, well, we need to purge that even more. We need to be, we need to attack those things or, or reform things around these notions of justice, equality, fairness, and then, proceed to act just like the human beings before us, but with an even more righteous cause, because we're, we're, we're assume of the righteous cause. I just, I feel like it's pride. It, it really is pride. Like, and, and even the Catholic church, the problem with the Catholic church, they had authority for a really long time yeah. and it, but it was still a human authority. Right. Right. So, and so they, they still acted like pride. So once, once we break authority from the Catholic church and we try to center the authority in ourselves, in our own ability, it's like the Tower of Babel. Like there's nothing that really holds us together. It's just like this competition um, for who's got the most attractive ideas, basically. Um, who's got the most sauciest ideas, who, whose ideas exploit the human nature of narcissism, ambition, Machiavellianism, all those dark triad stuff. Um, I'm, I'm rambling, but you know. No, it's, I, I think, I, again, I think that's kind of like, it's hard because... It's like, um, like even in that statement, we're saying like progressive, progressivism, you yeah. know, is doing this, but that's just an aspect of progressivism. It's almost like, um, okay. like okay. the same, like if progressivism is the company, um, what you're talking about is the destruction team. So you have like destruction teams and you have construction teams. So like, yeah. like woke would be like a, like a, a, or critical theory or however, you know, all of this, like pulled it all apart. That's destruction. Okay. And then on the other side, you have people who are you know constructing the next thing so they're building the contingencies which will eventually determine a better future okay so it's it's this hand's job to knock everything down yeah. and people always complain you know oh well, you don't have any plans you know well what are you going to do after you rip down the estate okay well defund the police well what now it's not their job to have that you know a, de yeah. a destruction okay. team doesn't have to show up on site with the building plans they don't even have to be privy to them they mm -hmm. are the destruction team. So that is their assignment. They are here to destroy things. Okay. So th that's what they're doing. On the other side of that, that's where you get into the, you know, the WEF and the the, the administrative planning. bureaucratic side of what they're doing is building a mechanism that doesn't care what you're, you know, they're, they're the best way I can describe it is it's like, um, it's like a big baking sheet. 
they're they're creating a baking sheet that we all have to use. They're not telling us what recipe or how long to bake or any of that stuff, but mm. we all have to fit whatever form they're giving us. And that's kind of the mm. the institutional template. So it doesn't even matter like when these critical theorists finally get their way and they're in the head of the institutions, you know, they they started by thinking, you know, the only way we can change the institutions is by overtaking them from within. And so they overtook them from within and they're saying, okay, well now we overtook them. Now what do we do? And they find themselves unaware of what to do, but that's okay because the people that are working on the bureaucratic side are creating a very easy template for what they want you to do. So the more malleable these people become to being in power, now you have new people in power asking even less questions, just kind of happy to be there and going through the motions and they're understanding they're getting their support. So it's like, it's hard because you it's we can't address progressivism as as like a as one because that's only one aspect of it you okay. know no so that, i appreciate I, I really appreciate that so um to get more into the baking sheet what's that like from your point of view isolated well, um it's like um short-sighted well we're already terribly we're already living in it it's okay. it's it's um i think that you know, I think the hardest thing that we have to figure out is to how to stop um, reacting to long-term plans with short-term interventions and seeing it from like, uh, like what we're living through right now is the product of not just five years ago, but 20 years ago. You know, this is, these are actions put into place long before you and I were even aware of them. Yeah. So then when you kind of wake up to these problems and you're like, okay, let's, you know, where are we going to boycott something? We're going to take some directive. It's, it's like a big, well, I'll, I'll, I'll stop just to address the baking sheet. It's like that was originally theorized and created back in the 19, I would say from like the 1930s to the 1950s was the developmental period of that. The 1950s to the 1970s was the getting ready to like the implementation of that. And then from the seventies to the nineties is kind of the first trial of that. And then from that's the nineties, they had a recalibration period. And then now we're living through the new iterations, you know, and it's just kind of like, um, you know, for lack of a better, like the same people who came up with like calling it generation X, you know, calling it generation Y, and then calling it Generation Z, well, now we're in Generation Alpha again. So they've concluded the, the old recipes, if that makes any sense. And now we're already into the new baking sheet phase. So the children who are being born today, you know, that's where the real battlefield is. And that's why they're after the kids, because you have to go after the kids in order to change the future. Mm -hmm. And, and hmm. you know... That's where our biggest mistake is, is we're, we're, we're fighting, I think, tact, tactically, we're fighting on politics, we're fighting on this. So it's, it just needs to be completely recentered around education and children and just re completely refocus. Let not to, you know, I, I, it sounds sad, but you almost have to cut off the generation that's already there because they've been baked into the wrong sheet. Like the, it just their their sheet does not fit with our reality. It only fits in the reality that they're trying to build. So that's kind okay. of, you know, I, th I think in generations, 
So yeah. it's, you know, 20 to 30 years is where you really got to start sp spanning out your view to understand where you're sitting right now, in okay. my opinion. What are, what is the, um, what are the qualities of this new man that has been engineered? Well, it's, it's in different stages and they're, you know, the qualities are, um, in different regions, um, specific to those regions. Um, right now we're still in a dismantling phase. So, you know, one of the first things before you can like, uh, before you can cultivate, you know, like, um, Skinner called it like, uh, the cultivation of behavior, you know? So let's just like, in the, to make it more practical, um, say like in, uh, in 1987, okay. That's a great year to start with. That's the year that the WEF got it renamed from the European management forum to the world economic forum. Same year that our common future came out, which is a really great document. Everyone should read, uh, mm -hmm. That's like the basis for sustainable development goals. It's actually when sustainable development became part of the UN curriculum. Um, and they say quite plainly in, in, in those, in, in those formulative formulative years that, you know, uh, it's about educating the people to, uh, understand the problem in the correct way. You know, so that that way might differ depending on where you're at. So like for an American, we had to understand the problem of, say, like population and they had to put it into a new perspective because they can't say we're out of space. We're out of resources in America. That argument does not stick. Every study that's ever, you know, they did multiple studies in the 60s and even the Rockefeller studies concluded that there's no real reason for population control in America at this point. Like there's not, there's no threat. However, that's a different conversation in India. So in India, they have a really, you know, very limited space, very limited access to resources and stuff like that. So our kids have to grow up in a world being educated that because we use so much more stuff, you know, we have to reduce the population because it's consumption based because we consume three times more than a child in Africa or India consumes. Mm -hmm. Whereas those children grow up basically having to come to an understanding of if you have more than one child, you're probably not going to be able to feed it, you know? And it's like, it's a completely different reality um, constructed to achieve the same ends, which mm -hmm. is a reduction in fertility rates, you know? So it's, it, again, it's like, it's, it's tough if you, I don't know, like just take on one angle of the conversation because it's like, okay, but okay, but why why try to control population? Like there was this, I think it was about a year ago, maybe six months ago or something like that, eight months ago. Uh, there was some sort of like statue or like pillars in some place in America, and there was this one like pylon uh -huh. that had like this intention, like it kind of appeared out of nowhere, and then somebody came through and smashed one of them. And the Georgia Guidestones. Is it the Guidestones? Okay. And, I, think, and I, I think that's what they're called. It says something along the lines like the ultimate goal is 500 million people, period. Yeah, the optimum so somebody population did some sort size. Of, they did some sort of calculation, right? In order to save humanity, they need to limit humanity. Humanity needs to step into like its own and be mature and self-controlled. Well, it's the next... Um, what they're, So what we're living through right now is called what they're calling, um, and by they, I mean the people who are actually implementing these plans um uh, 
it's called the equilibrium revolution. Um, they're trying to establish equilibrium and, um, essentially to, you know, on one aspect, birth control is also death control, but, um, you have to also understand that like population, like if you want a world at peace, okay. And I'm sorry, this is kind of scattered, but the fundamental principle principle behind population control is world peace um mankind has the ability to destroy each other now we can destroy the entire okay. earth so in order to achieve world peace you have to address population so just like malthus recognized that um overpopulation leads to famine war and disease the un decided if you're going to cure war famine and disease you have to address population okay. so getting <clears throat> Optimum population has been discussed at multiple different periods and by multiple different people with different optimum sizing. You know, they all have kind of a different idea. Um, the Georgia Guidestones, I still don't know too much about like who built that and what happened. You know, I've I only kind of know about it from like a like reading about little, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, little stuff here and there. But um, <clears throat> and as far as the destruction of them goes, I have no idea what that was about. Um, but there's When all of this stuff emerged, they're coming in at the tail of a baby boom that the world has never experienced before, you know, and the growth rates went up so high because the birth rate was staying the same, but the death rate leveled out. Yeah. So they were, we, we have this new control over death. So you kind of need a new control over life oh, in order okay. to balance it out. And if you don't have that, then what you end up with is like what we're about to get. So like what we're about to get is the the entire, that whole generation that, you know, was born and the, you know, the fertility was just through the roof. Now those are all old people and there's nothing there to take care of them because since then we've addressed the fertility. So like we're, we're at this weird point oh, of yeah. like changing of the guard to like a lot of countries are back to what they call replacement levels or below replacement levels. And there's a lot of worry and concern about like population collapse because all of these countries are below replacement levels. But no one seems to be calculating for the fact that, or I can't say no one, the opposing side calculates for it, but the side that is, you know, upset about population collapse just refuses to see that um, you have so many years of overpopulation that they have to offset before they can start addressing the, like, Below replacement doesn't become a problem for a couple decades because they need to run at a deficit to get back to what they call equilibrium, okay. which is yeah. people at replacement levels only using the resources that are available to them. Um, the hardest thing to wrap our heads around here in America is that our quality of life is so much better than most of the world. You know, and it, it's it's just hard to know that because you you're you're we're all conditioned to be uncomfortable. Like you know, you get to a really nice hotel room, and you're like, oh man, this is the best hotel room I've ever stayed. Look at this, this is so great. If you stay there for two weeks, I guarantee you'll start having complaints. Oh, these sheets are a little uncomfortable. You know, and it's just that's yeah. just human nature. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. But the people who are handling this on a global scale, um, basically, are saying, well, you guys need an attitude adjustment. 
you need a lifestyle adjustment you're living at a like we're the way they see it is like we're spending a credit card that we're never going to be able to pay for the earth doesn't have enough to and the more stuff we have and the better our lives get um the more the vision of equality means that giving that same thing to children in africa you know why can't but like marie strong says uh you know every the earth can't sustain every person having a working air conditioner just can't you know so their solution instead is no air conditioners you know okay. you can't outlaw or ban air conditioners but you can start restricting the different chemicals they put off and you can start restricting the different stuff you know how they're made how they're implemented and their high energy use so you can start cutting off how much energy people can use in those countries so that basically soon since the earth can't sustain air conditioning we just won't have air conditioning because it'll be uns viewed as unsustainable you know mm -hmm. does that kind of put it into well so yeah what what I don't know why this is might be a tangent, but you might just like come up with something about this. So there was like this concerted effort from several places at once to just all of a sudden start bitching about gas stoves. I think it was last fall. Like out of nowhere, like everybody's like, oh, gas stoves, gas stoves, right? And it was just <laughs> like, it was totally coordinated. It's like, wait, what are you guys doing? It's very bald. It's very open face. All this, it all converges on this one point and then it goes away um, because it's kind of ridiculous. Are they just kind of like throwing noodles against the wall to see what sticks? Or are they conditioning no, people that, that these appliances, you know? Like, well, it's, it's all regulation based. So um, like hmm. you have to think on like, so like this is where I mean like like it's it all comes back to this conversation, you know. Um yeah. but like the war that's happening right now. In Ukraine. Uh, yeah, the it's you know Ukraine is the battleground, but it's really what what the war actually is, it's determining leverage points in what's about to be the great energy reformation. So we're energy our whole concept of it it's the same reason that they're blocking nuclear is because access to nuclear energy makes the restrictions that they need to put on unsustainable lifestyles uh it just makes all of their points disappear because if if energy is readily available then what are you complaining about what do i have to restrict for so yeah. that's what the major lobby is is that the earth can't sustain well, us well, having what if they're wrong about that oh they're i mean and they might there probably are wrong about aspects of it, but that's, I don't, I don't know. I can't really weigh in on like, like who's right or wrong. All I can really do is try to understand what they're saying, okay. you yeah. know? And, okay. and basically what they're saying is, is like, if we had access to that much energy, the changes we need to make for everyone to have equality uh, disappear, you know, we can't, like they they don't have any more leverage mechanisms to use against us and why so is it, equality the oh the, to solve world peace well peace it's like it's it's, no it's, it, it's the redistribution of wealth and resources situation but held yeah. out if you think about it on a global scale yeah. so like you have all of these people who live in areas still have no access to clean water you know and then um they don't let alone you know gas lines and things like yeah. that the the technology that they can regulate is they can they can measure consumption so like they're starting with this kind of stuff in places like new york and california because they like to think that they're you know 
the citizenry at least likes to think that they're green and ahead of the curve and stuff like this. But what what's what they're ultimately doing is they're they're trying to get um, less regulatable energy sources removed from the market because they're unclean or unsustainable resources. And then they'll replace those appliances in your house with things they can meter and determine how much your your usage is. You know, yeah. if you're cooking with gas, that's a I mean, they're, they're not I don't even think they're they're considering what's you know, how devastating this is going to be to restaurants and things like that. But in their areas, like the, the the governments who are pushing for them, but it's ultimately, you know, all of all of the uncomfortable phases and all of the transitional growing pains are in their in their opinions are all going to come out in the wash okay. because in the end of it will not not be destroying our planet will yeah. be humans will be living in equilibrium with their environment. Now, okay. everyone. uh hmm. You know, whether you're in South America or North America, will be enjoying many of the same privileges, you know. So even though here in America, it feels like, well, we've had our privileges restricted, um, their, their idea is immigration and populations moving around and whatnot. It's you're essentially going to get into a different. What they're hoping for is a different like a, a, a different motivator for for change i don't, yeah. I don't know it's okay. it's really tough to explain yeah. because it's like my my mind is like walking across 50 years of trying to explain the context of the like this really stupid rule <laughs> you know and usually if the, if it's a stupid rule there's a there is a good reason behind it it's just good is very yeah you know well and that rule would be i guess restricting air conditioning is that the rule the you know the restricting air conditioning is just an example but that's one yeah. that has been you know marie strong repeated that multiple times so it's the same and concept that, though maurice marie strong yeah. is the um, he's probably the most influential environmental uh administrator who's ever lived he um he's gone now but uh in his day he was like the guy who put it all together and not only was he the guy who put it all together, he's the guy who made sure it was running smooth, made sure the politicians were paid off, made sure the the doors were getting opened. If there was a big committee, he was at the head of it. If there was a, a, a document being signed, he probably appointed the people who compiled the document and got everyone in the room to sign it. So he was kind of like the, the major guy. Um, his biggest legacy is probably he was, you know, the founding director of... Um, the United Nations Environmental uh, uh, UNEP, yeah, Environmental Program, mm -hmm. and then uh, he was also the you know the Secretary General of um, the Stockholm Conference on Human Environment, which is the first environmental um, agreement that was signed internationally, and that's where we got our current like we have a population principle on the books, and that's where it comes from. And then he was also involved in the World Population Conference two years after that, also involved in the chair that came like in the committee that came up with our common future. He put all of the people together to and oversaw um, the composition of Agenda 21 and then was the secretary general of the conference where it was implemented. And Agenda and then, 21 in brief is 
1992, there was a unsaid meeting, which is um, like, it was basically a 20 year uh, re-meeting. Like, so it's the Stockholm Conference 2.0 basically so they're having a like the stockholm conference is where all environmental policies come from like international environmental policies and then throughout that there were lots of different conferences uh, but hmm. 20 years later they had rio to kind of re-examine those policies and kind of push for the next 20 years in a new direction so all of these plans are 20-year plans they're very okay. explicit about that they have yeah. another meeting every five years and then they usually have, you know, every decade they have a, a, a big meeting to see how they're going to attack the next decade. And um, hmm. Agenda 21 was kind of like how they were uh, buttering the baking sheet for what we now know as Agenda 2030. So Agenda 2030 is like kind of like Agenda 21 made intelligible for common people, you know, instead of... Three hundred pages of long, you know, compartmentalized explanations. They have seventeen steps, and then if you want to know more, see Agenda Twenty One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Agenda Twenty One is downstream of that first document I talked about, which is Our Common Future. If yeah. you read Our Common Future, it all makes so much more sense. It's like they're basically trying to build just a new world, and in uh, whose image. Uh, in the in image of fairness and kindness and, oh, and, and, kindness. and reason and all of this, you know, okay. all of the good of humanity. Humanity. Yeah. Humanity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what they basically, you know. Humanity at any cost. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's <laughs> devastating. I think one of the biggest mis misconceptions that a lot of people hold is, um, you know, on the pro and anti side is they, you know, a lot of people who are um, like resistant to anything Malthusian is. Malthusianist um, view Malthusianism as anti-human, and they they view these policies as anti-human, but it's more pro-Earth than anti-human, mm, in my mm -hmm, opinion. Mm -hmm, they just mm -hmm, they love mm -hmm. the Earth more mm -hmm. than they love people, yes. and that's where they're coming yeah. from, and that's where okay. that's where their heart is, anyway. You know, there's this uh, David Attenborough. You know, this guy, he, yeah. he does these nature films and stuff, and he's got this British voice, and he talks about the, the lovely birds, you know, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there was a documentary series on Netflix, and over the course of the series, it was really fascinating. You get to see all these different environments, but at the end of every show, it's like, and here's how humans fucked it up. And here's how humans <laughs> fucked it up. And then the last, the last episode, they go to Chernobyl. And he's just praising the fact that humans fucked it up so bad that they're not around anymore and nature has taken over. And, yeah. and it's just so anti-human. It's so yeah. anti-human. It's like, this is anti-humanist propaganda. Well, and he's, he's huge into, uh, you know, I've got um, on my channel, you can watch him give a whole lecture where he's explaining that Malthus was right and there needs to be less of us. And, you know, that's yeah. his, but that's yeah. the whole environmental argument. You know, yeah. that all goes back to like, like 19 like the 1940s it's like that's it's yeah right through but but again it's like it's hard because you can't say it's hard to say anti-human because he's really just in love with earth yeah. you know julian huxley has a lot of the same things he's he's the reason that we have like so like and julian huxley's adults father or grandfather all all, all, all this is brother yeah it's his oh, older brother. brother okay yeah yeah all right. okay. so um 
all this. Yeah, they're they're both um, descendants of their grandfather was T.H. Huxley, who was Darwin's bulldog and the coiner of agnosticism and, yeah. you know, like yeah. a, a pioneer of biology. Hmm. Julian is a pioneer of so many things. Um, but to bring it to David Attenborough, like that that lecture you'll hear him giving, if you check it out on my channel, is about the history of the WWF, which is the World Wildlife Fund, which is what Julian Huxley actually, he set that up. So that was set up in 1961 while he was still actually the um, the president of the British Eugenics Society. So it's like, um, these are the people that are like, between that and his work with the IUCN, which is the International Union for the Conservation of Natural Resources, um, they're, they're the reasons that we have like national parks in the, not not in America, but in the world, the, the why, why Africa now has protected preserves and that we have these protected zones. The whole concept of protecting these zones is protecting these zones from human development. Yeah. Well, and uh, anything other than prehistorical human development, I'm sure they're fine with tribes. Like, yeah, I, 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 they'll I see, even try to the... like monetize the tribes and get them, you know, involved in an, in an economic way in okay. keeping the preservation alive, yeah. but they don't, they don't allow settlement or development or, you yeah. know, same same reason that we had the national parks develop here as conservationists saw that if you don't put up some kind of a perimeter that you know some asshole will just build a house right on top of that beautiful waterfall and they did, you know they had to put these restrictions because they like looking at the waterfall and it's like you know now we visit yosemite and we think wow it's so cool that they made all of this but it's like i said it's the same philosophy it's like to an aspect they're trying to keep humans from destroying this thing they love okay and it's hard to call them anti you know just because they understand that it's human nature to just do as they do it comes off as anti because there's so many you know dead babies involved and there's a lot there's a lot of you know horrible horrible stuff that comes out of that but in you know in their from their perspective um the earth is what's natural what we're doing to it is what's unnatural. Yeah. So they're trying to have this kind of like return to nature, you know, Thoreau inspired, yeah. you know, I idealistic society. As long where, as they're doing it to other people, they don't want it done to them. I'm sure everybody well, in power doesn't that, want it. That comes into the justification that we all get into. I think, I think whenever we, um, any of us that does a lot of good, you know, reward ourselves. You know, you reward yourself a little bit. So like, if you really, you know, oh, I, I finished my essay today, oh, maybe I'll have a little, and they just do that with like planes and mansions and stuff because they, you know, Bill Gates has, is responsible for, you know, wiping the carbon footprint of a lot of people off the planet. So he can afford to have a little couple of luxuries, <laughs> you know, it's, it's this weird justification yeah. cycle that they get into, but huh. I don't think that they're necessarily like, like I said, it's, it's hard because it's, you can't ever put everybody into the same box. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's tough. There's people that are like, you know, the people I, I can't understand right now, like the ones that I'm, I'm studying, but they're difficult to study is um, there's this whole movement of like gender based. Um, now they, they're queer. Okay. So they're, they're queer women but they don't necessarily all identify as women, but they're all queer. And um, which means they're not 
looking to procreate, but they are avid abortion enthusiasts. And like abortion activism right now is being driven by this whole sect of people who aren't even interested in having kids in the first place. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense in the context of women's rights. But that's the thing. They don't even say the word woman. Like, so they've now it's just become like, if there is an anti-human thing, it's like babies are prohibiting people from experiencing the joy of consumerism. At the same time, they're opposing consumerism. And it's like, it's this weird sect of people that are just growing out of this whatever garden that has been planted uh, hmm. in this ideological space. It's like, I don't get it. I've never seen anything like it. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's like a new phenomenon that I've only been able to track back for like the last maybe 20 years. And in these okay. last 10 years, it's getting crazy. Like, like right now, the leaders of the movement are women's rights activists who refuse to say women. Yeah. They don't actually see women's rights in the context they want it as people's rights. I don't know. It's 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 really fascinating because, hmm. you know, thing topics like abortion are really difficult to pin down because you're dealing with completely varied societies across completely varied time periods and considerations. But this one just doesn't have any place in logic to me. Hmm. Like if you're if you're not going to have a child, if it's not even on the table for you, why is this your mission? Like, how, how do you wake up every day and incentivize yourself to just raise money to kill more babies? And it's like, I just don't get it. Like, I, I just don't. It's that's the one that I'm still scratching my head on. But um, all the rest of it, I th I feel like I understand pretty well. I, I'm, I'm tempted, but I wouldn't do it. But I would be tempted or I wouldn't look down on you if you said, you know, like these people lack God in their heart or, you know, like. Yeah, you know, I, there's, I don't there's know. a transcendent like the god-shaped hole like it's just it's empty yeah. like there, there's like this not through the whole thing it's like the man is boxing himself it's very tower of babel it's like we can reach yeah. once we unify ourselves we can reach anything we can we can really be the masters of the universe and the moral of that story is that there, there comes a time where where that unitary will will destabilize like nature reality itself will not allow man to to traipse too far toward godhood um but you see as people work toward godhood for themselves, then you have these weird little splinter movements. So it does make sense that a woman who doesn't want to be a woman also loathes the function, the functional aspect of womanhood. Yeah, that makes sense. That I could see that in that context. Because, like because fertility is, is surrender of one's will to nature. And, and that's and how love, it's described yeah. too. You're right. Because I actually saw a tweet today that I took a picture of that was basically saying like, it was like, it don't, I, I was gobsmacked by it. They were, she was basically saying, uh, the people who say like eliminating people is eliminating more ideas because all of these people would have new ideas aren't considering that motherhood is like slavery. So what about the mothers who are having these kids? Why can't they pursue their ideas? So you're actually restricting ideas by allowing them to have children who will have their own ideas. It's like, what? wait a second first off that's not the <laughs> wow you know it's just such a like how their reasoning got there is such a tangled mess of like misunderstandings and just misappropriations i don't, I don't yeah. know yeah. it's but you're i think you're shedding some light on it there there's there's definitely 
it's hard because, you know, I feel like people, there are people in this world who have found happiness in their life without like a certain God, you know, like necessarily like this religion or that religion. But it does seem that there has to be something else almost, you know, driving you, whether that becomes you or whether you make that about something else. It's just like, yeah, it does. It definitely does exist and it could be driving it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I'm open to a lot of, like I've read, I, I was, I was raised, um, like free Methodist, uh, which is kind of weird. Like, it's like, like a, you guys went out into fields and picked scriptures off the ground, like chickens. Yeah. Laid little woo. like divine eggs. Yeah. Well, if my memory serves, it's like at the, I was told that we were called free Methodists because the Methodist church eventually started charging people for better spots. So like you would, in the, the more, parking lot? The, well, like the more you tithe, the closer you can sit in the church okay, and like where okay. you sat kind of in the church determined your place in, in the community. And so like, okay. You know, my grandpa actually was like part of the whole like Billy Graham revival okay, yeah. scene. Uh, I'm from Indiana originally, and he built a church in Bedford and had a little community. And then that community moved to Indianapolis and they built a church. And when they built that church, uh, they, they called it uh, like a free Methodist church and they didn't charge people. And there was none of these ideas. Now it's like a Korean something or other church. But uh, hmm. yeah, that's my religious upbringing was like uh definitely centered in in like like a belief in in Christ and then somewhere around my preteens i i really didn't like that they based their i didn't like that i was still a kid and like they were trying to teach me love based on fear like it was there was always this like stick waiting like this, you're going to go to hell and you're going to do this thing. And then I was asking all of these adults, like, where is the love in fear? Like, I don't understand, like, like that point where I want to open my heart to God and I want to give myself to him and all this stuff. And, you know, I would be the kid crying in church with my hands up and like really just ultimately I saw that it was sourced in fear. Like that desire was because I was so deathly afraid of all of the terrible things they said would happen if I didn't. Oh, okay. So I kind of started seeking that truth elsewhere. And I found, you know, like, I think like Joseph Campbell, Campbell really helped me understand that like different mythologies developed in different regions around the same ideas. And then I kind of, I've, I've read like my, my whole pursuit into history, the first leg of it in my teenage years into my early twenties was all like in search of God. And then I think I found God, but I think I found it in a different way than other people find God. And I just, you know, I, in beverages? <laughs> no, that was actually a real conflict for me. I, 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 selling, especially selling alcohol was kind of one of those things that like, huh. you know, my dad was a terrible alcoholic and uh, ended yeah. up getting into drug addiction and stuff. And it was one of those things where it was like, even if I really did well and hit all my numbers, that just means I got a lot of people really drunk and made a lot of other people a lot of money. And it didn't, you know, that was kind of a, a challenge for me, but no, I, I found God in earth and like, and like, I, I was like a kind of like a vagabond for a while. I didn't have a cell phone until maybe 2010. You know, I just went paradise hopping my whole, 
my whole philosophy was like life is suffering uh work is is life like might as well just go work in paradise and then at least i'm suffering some someplace other people want to go on vacation and so i kind of did some paradise hopping and you know slept in a tent and worked 60 hours a week and saved up all the money i could to you know it's hard to make it on your own and then um yeah just through that experience and isolation and examination and observance i just i felt like i had this connection and i just i don't know it's it's hard to explain man that's a deep conversation it is a deep conversation thank you for pointing at it when were you called back away from solitude and to the world how were you drawn back into the world i met my wife yeah, in hawaii i knew it i knew yeah. it, I knew it. yeah I knew it. she corrupted me she bought me my first cell phone too so <laughs> can, can you tell the story just for the romantics at home yeah we were um well like i said i was paradise hopping and i was bar backing at the hard rock cafe in south lake tahoe and i got a, a person was like you should come work on our cruise ships and they recruited me and then it took like six months to get on to a cruise ship because you got to do all this like federal background checks and all this other stuff. And my cruise ship was in Hawaii. So they shipped me out to Hawaii and I met my wife in the hotel the day before we were going to board. Um, we ran into each other and then we talked a little bit on the elevator. And then the next day we were on the same bus and we were in the same training group and ended up, you know, kind of really clicking. And then you know, uh, after training, she kind of became my girlfriend. And then she told me, it was funny. She told me, you know, I'm going to marry you. And I was like, I'm never going to get married. So good luck with that. And anyway, 11 years been married. So <laughs> she totally won. Yeah. Um, but we were out there for two contracts, which a contract on a cruise ship is like, a, it's like five months on or uh, on that cruise ship was five months on, uh, uh, five weeks off. So it's just a five month long work week. So we went through the furnace together, really. We wow. were, yeah, we went, it was most, I think my hiring class was like 23 people and my wife and I were two of maybe, I want to say six that lasted through the first contract because it was just su such a demanding work schedule. And then I think four of us came back and then her and I were like the only two to, I think, make it through the whole second contract. I might be wrong about that, but it was like definitely uh helped us develop a a really tight bond you know yeah most yeah. most people go through that experience alone and we were really lucky to have each other and then we grew together and she lived in orange county california and i lived in indianapolis indiana and when it was time to leave the cruise ship she left a little bit before me because she had a different job than i did so she bought me a cell phone so that we could talk while she was away and that's how i got on the grid and then from huh. that point on, the dis discussion was basically like, well, we're not going to do the cruise ship anymore. Are you going to move to Indiana or am I going to move to Orange County? And I live in Orange County. So, hmm. Hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's how did that change per uh, your perspective getting married? Well, you know, great i mean i don't know i dude i had a really rough childhood like my my life was really tough um 
on an emotional level, you know, and it was just really, it was tough for me to believe in like, like, uh, like love, like, 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 like a genuine love, like, like, cause I just never really, like my parents were not it like, un- they, they didn't love anyone more than they loved themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you searched in life for a connection and I'm really lucky to have found it. But then even more than that, I'm lucky because she showed me different layers of humanity that I I was just, I thought didn't exist. And she just has the exact opposite personality than I do. She's super outgoing and, you know, the life of every party. And I am just the guy who sits in the corner at the party and will talk to anyone who sits next to me, but I'm not getting off the couch, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it was really, she's taught me a lot. And, uh, it's been really great. How do you think that that informs your your pursuits? It actually, you know, one of the things that's, I would say it actually embedded me inside of the opposite perspective that I have now. So if it informed it in any way, it was um, hmm. like, like to show me how deep I had, I had fallen into misunderstandings. Like, so just as an example, um, you know, my wife is vegan. And so like, I was eating mostly like a plant-based, you know, and then like, we have a Prius and we're just, we are the people that, you know, are like, well, why don't they just let the kids do what they want? You know, like that was very us. And then, um, I kind of like immersed myself in like that very, like it's funny it's like people call me right wing sometimes now and it's just so funny what what that what that has become but um i was was very much peaking moment from out from the curtain of your progressive california liberalism that was with this that was the very beginning of this it was like my understanding of like everything that i understand like how like the how foundationally incorrect i was like when I saw, I think probably the earth shattering moment for me was when I first watched um, Survival of Spaceship Earth. Yeah. And um, that's the movie I did the the first episode about. So my first episode is diving into that. But as I watch these movies, I take notes. And as I take notes, I do research. And I was just kind of really digging into this movie. And it was just, I was blown away, like by... I had no idea that everything I, I understood and like my whole moral compass was based on um, a scale of population control and like this whole like, well, we eat organic foods. It's like, well, then you learn about where the organic food movement starts from. And it's people worried that we're using pesticides to produce more plants to feed more people. But in doing so, we're destroying the the biosphere that is enabling all of all of it to exist so they have to you know it's basically like trying to reduce the productivity of farming to what they call sustainable you know and it's like it it was just i said it was like a mind-bending moment where i just kind of got to understand like oh crap like the very foundations of my beliefs or what i think is right and wrong are are is wrong and that was kind of like that's where my earth shook yeah what do you mean wrong wrong in what way Oh, I had just incorrectly calibrated it. Um, I didn't understand their logic. 
You know, okay. I didn't understand the logic that went into the beliefs that I bought into. I, I was buying into the story that I was being fed as opposed to the actual, I, I was completely unaware of the actual history behind the story okay. and that, you know, even, even down to the outlook of like, like one of my biggest concerns in having children was like, uh, I like, what will that do to the planet? You know, like I, I thought like that, like I really thought a lot of like, like, wow, think about how many diapers that kid will produce. And, you know, again, it comes from that place of really, you love the earth so much. It's like, yeah. you love it more than yourself. So it's almost like it, it gets into this altruistic, like you want to self-sacrifice because you're framing it. And then, like I said, that I just noticed that there was a frame outside of the frame and that that okay. bigger picture, like made this frame look silly to me. Like I just, I couldn't, uh -huh. I could no longer see it through that framing. But it was, it was, you know, through our relationship that I, I, her and I's relationship that I gained a lot of those more like the understanding position and a lot more compassion. I was, I was kind of, I've always been kind of a hard dude, like, like a, like a don't show my emotions and don't, you know, I just very task oriented, very get it done, very just, and she, she kind of helped take me out of my shell a little bit and kind of crack that hard guy facade and get to a little bit more of the reason and then just some some weird stuff creeped in yeah um so i'm just i'm trying to think um of the alternative because it is enticing to uh kind of move disconnect to a certain degree i, I don't know let, let me just like paint a picture of my life like i get sustainable enough on the internet doing enough good works in the world, giving people good content, you know, I produce content and then I can, you know, just kind of move out, out of town, get a lovely wife, raise some chickens, you know, and, and pare down my consumerism to just what I need, right? And kind of be in some sort of sustainable equilibrium where I'm not too distracted by the material, but I have the material in, in a right, nice little tiny box. Isn't there disconnected from the plans of these great masters of the universe. Like that sounds like kind of a good goal. Yeah. I mean, it's a little too late in my life to have seven kids. I, I wish, I wish every once in a while I'll see like a, a, a dad and a mom with seven kids. And like, it just breaks my heart that I, I didn't go down that path because there's something phenomenal about that, but I'm not antinatalist at all. Right. It just hasn't shaken out for me to have kids, but I would put the kids, I, I never could think think of a kid as like taking away from the world. This is like inventing a new world or this is participating in the creation of a new world, a new person. Yeah. Right. My outlook with that was kind of skewed too, because I had a, like I said, my, my life was really hard. Like yeah. my, my childhood your grandpa, was not fun. So I'm sorry to bust no, into please. this or poke this, but like your grandfather is a, a minister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and they his had child, seven kids. His child, okay. Yeah. And then my dad was the youngest. And then my dad kind of just was just he couldn't hold it together in adulthood. And, you know, by the time I was 10, everything was just, he had just completely fell apart as a person, you know? Really? And then, how, how many yeah, and uh, siblings for you? I have two. I have um, an older brother and a younger brother. And then okay. yeah. um, my mom had my younger brother with a different guy than my dad. And then, um, uh they were together for like most of my childhood and then at one point they got 
she got divorced from that guy and kind of like, it's funny. She kind of got into like this, like my kids are grown phase, but I was still like 12. <laughs> so it was like, I kind of had to just kind of like, uh, my dad couldn't take care of himself. So I had to move in with my grandma who was taking care of my dad or yeah. who was taking care of my grandpa because he had had, he was like 30 years older than my grandma. Um, they got married. He was like 36 and she was like 16 yeah. when they got married, like very different times. Uh, and then when he was in his seventies, he was still working, but he had a stroke and then it just, he, he was just completely just debilitated. Okay. And so her whole life for like 10 years was just taking care of him. Like, and it was like real taking care of someone. And that was hard. And, uh, so by the time I was like 15, it was like, well, she can't take care of him and me. Like, that's not really fair to have her. So I, I was able to kind of get out on my own and uh, got some really good help from some people and uh, got my first apartment when I was 16 and just kind of been working hardcore ever since. And uh, so I just got into this mindset of like, life is so hard and it's so much suffering. I remember a lot of times, you know, like really in the, in the pits of it now, like I, I don't really think about those times very much anymore, but I remember kind of resenting being born. And I remember that resentment of like, you guys didn't want it. Like, like they tried to have me to save a marriage that was already failing. And now my life is miserable because you assholes didn't think it through, you know? And it was like yeah. this whole like yeah. resentment and hostility yeah. towards the idea. So my, my idea was, you know, I didn't really learn to understand love and acceptance until, you know, one, there was a really awesome lady who took me in and helped me get, get me on my feet and just showed me that love isn't always conditional and that some people are just good people and that, you know, it's just that, that was really life transforming. And then when I met my wife again, really life transforming into how I viewed things, but still I kind of held on to this idea of like, it's not fair to bring someone into this world just to suffer. And so my thought process was that we were going to adopt because that's someone who's already suffering. So all of the advantages we can give them, it's like, Hey, they're not going to hate us. It's not my fault. You're here, buddy. I'm just trying to help you out. You know, yeah, you're here just yeah. like I was here. It's yeah. like neither one of us wanted to be here, but guess what? We're together. So we're a family and you know, that's just uh, yeah. Best laid plans. What about your relationship to being a, a, a man? If, you're, if your primary man, your father was a broken man, and then your grandpa, you experienced him as a broken man. Like, have you um, matured into your, you know, your manhoodliness or whatever? In life, you can learn from everyone. And some people you learn how, who you want to be and what you want to be like, and other people teach you who you don't want to be and what you don't want to be like. Okay. And I think that's kind of where the, my, I didn't really, unfortunately get to know my grandfather very well because he got like, it happened when we were just kids. So most of my memories of my grandpa, who was a, like, according to his funeral was like one of the most influential people. I mean, people came from like three cities over and, you know, okay. like I said, he was like really active in the church and married a lot of people and changed people's lives. And, you know, like he was a really good man. I just didn't get to know that man. Um, the guy I got to know was just like a spoiled baby that, you know, my dad was just a, a turd. 
So like getting to know that turd was, it's a good calibration tool in life because if you ever find yourself drifting into like one of those behavior patterns, it's like a very good, like, you know where this one ends. Okay. (laughs) Bad behavior pattern. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's been, you know, I've also, I guess I was really lucky to not have such a strong father figure because I got to learn from a lot of other people's father figures. You know, I, I've had a lot of male influences in my life that I've been able to pick little things from and pick up like, oh, I like this. And, you know, yeah. I learned how to be a man from watching other people's dads and stuff. So while while your work is critiquing history, building these grand narratives, I'm wondering these ideas and stuff, do you, do you have like a an idea of what kind of human being you want to promote in the world. If you even, if, if you even land on the side of human beings should still be around because maybe you're like, no, maybe, maybe the experiment has run its course. And no, I, I think humanity is beautiful. I think, I think the hardest part of the argument is that it's like they, they changed, they changed what it was like to be human into something else and then they call that ugly and then they want to destroy humanity based on that conception of humanity it's really strange to me to do that's that wh- that's what i'm i'm sensing and like when they build these grand narratives about what human beings are and they do they're just consumers but it's just looking at the it's it's a satanic point of, it's a materialist point of view yeah i mean I, you know it's it's tough man it, it it's all such a it's it's such a complex conversation i definitely yeah. um it's like like i want to say things like how i see them from my perspective and like how i i like i want to say like oh yeah you know humanity's beautiful and we can change things and we can do these things um if i have any effect on the conversation um i would just would like to if i if i could you know deescalate the uh, us versus themism and get it back to an understanding of like, no, it's us, us and us. It's just us. It's just us. You know, mm-hmm. there is no them here, uh, in my opinion. I, I, I know that there are a lot of people who are ideologically motivated, but because they are ideologically motivated, what we're doing is we're throwing a lot of babies out with a lot of bathwater. And it's like, well, we don't like the ideas, so the organization's got to go. Or we don't like that. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to build in its place? It's like, um, just to use an example, like, um, just because it bothered me, um, I, I, I like Jordan Peterson. I think he's a, a good guy. Um, and he's like miles beyond me intellectually. So I'm not trying to critique him on any level like that. But I would say like, like there's a level of naivety to his approach in trying to combat the World Economic Forum by essentially building a different ideological forum. And it's like, he's going to go through all of the same baby steps that they went to, to basically get to the same direct. It's just, it's the antithesis of a good idea. You know, Mm. like he's not even taking the time to understand the forum itself, how it operates, why it, like the conversations that have already happened. It's like, he's bringing up things in this new forum that he wants that were already covered in the first few meetings, you know, in like the 1970s, like, if you don't even know that they already covered these conversations and they did have people from different ideological viewpoints discussing these different things, 
it's like they have no respect to the work that went in to duping them. Like you kind of have to take your hat off to the magician once in a while. If hmm. he pulls it past you and oh great, you've got every world leader was part of their young global leaders program and they did all of this stuff. And you kind of got to say kudos. Good job, you know, and then kind of figure out well, if that is the reality of the system, are we just going to build a different counter reality? Like, so what, are we just going to have our own placement programs? And then in 20 years, we'll see who's where, you know, or are we going to try to get involved in their system and try to not let us, I don't know. There's just a hundred ways to approach it that are not turning it into an us versus themism. Okay. You know, it, yeah. it, you're just going to end up repeating the same mistakes with worse results because all of the people who are identifying are identifying for ideological purposes. It's like the WEF, you know, say what you want to about them. Uh, they have allowed for a lot of different ideological viewpoints to have their, their day in court, so to speak. Now they've obviously been driving towards one socialistic, you know, stockholder capitalism mm -hmm. viewpoint is where they finally ended up settling. But prior to that, they had the meetings, you know, and they were a little fairer than, you know, I feel like these meetings are turning more into like trials and, and rabble rousing. Like, I don't know. It seems really interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. You think it's ultimately, it's a weak move. It's not long. It's not farsighted enough. Well, it just, enough. just on the surface level, it's uninformed. Like his, his, okay. his, like, like I said, it's like, the it's tough. It's, it's, it's tough because I don't expect people to to have read all of the stuff that i've read you know like i've because i have experience writing policies i don't mind reading them and i actually like kind of like reading them because it's almost like a like a work thing where i'm kind of like oh this was a good idea i like how they mm. you know and it's like yeah, yeah, I, yeah. it's it's an enjoyable experience for me to read a well-composed policy document and somebody's being tricky. I'm like, Ooh, good job being tricky. And I like to track them down. It's like, I'm solving a puzzle. Um, I don't expect other people to have that fascination, you know, but at the okay. same time, if you're going to say like, well, I'm going to build this thing, I would expect you to please hire someone to advise you that has that fascination that has actually read through the documentation, can map out the chart. It's like they're, they're this mounting a job a interview. Do I need to send this to Jordan? He follows yeah, me on Twitter. I can, I can. No, I'm not interested in working for the daily wire, but, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, well, okay. Okay. But, but fair enough. Fair enough. Fair critiques. If you're doing all this groundwork, it's not for nothing though. Do you have like the inching or the stirrings of ambition or is that, are you keeping a lid on that? Like, you know, I, I started for different reasons than I'm finishing. Um, you're finishing. I, so you already see the end. Yeah. I'm at the end. I'm, I'm almost done with my, uh, I, well, right now I am building a compendium and my compendium is basically just all of my research and all of my notes of all of these various different interconnected worlds all in one trustworthy location yeah. you know to where you can find something that's not skewed with sensationalism it's telling you exactly how things happen it's like it's like the roadmap that i wish i would have had when i first started yeah, but, okay okay but but beyond that well like what is the work for then like where, where or at least you have an assessment of of well, a so critique like, of of how it's gone and 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 the alternatives or or like battle plans or anything yes. anything but before my strategies can be understood, 
Okay. Like I said, it's like almost like people have, like all I'm trying to do is get back to a baseline stasis of reality with people. Okay. Like when I first, you know, making that first video was really tough. I am, like I said, I didn't have a phone until 2010. I lived in a tent. My friends couldn't get a hold. Like all of my actual friends just knew you have to pick up a pay phone whenever it called. Cause that's Jason calling. I'm the only person who ever calls from an out of state pay phone. So they would pick up and they would, Jason, you know, that's the only way you would know it was me. Um, I just never had any technology. It's never been an experience for me. I had to teach myself how to do all this because the pain of not being able to communicate, it was too much. It was like the pressure that was just crushing me. And it's like, if I try to, I try to talk to my wife about it and bless her heart. She can't, it's like, I'm 45 minutes into explaining what Malthus is still. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. So this is connected to the first part. How? And it's like, it's not her fault. I'm just not doing a good job of explaining well, okay, what okay. I've seen. Yeah. But okay. when I, I finally get it and I get it out there and no one, the next stop is getting people listening. And yeah. I still haven't figured that part out. Well, don't worry about that. But in the meantime, it's just yeah. been like, I, like I said, like it, the whole series itself was like a pursuit of like, as I learn, trying to show people what I learned while I was going through it. So and that kind of, it lost people at a certain point. So I'm not as dedicated to like the video project anymore um, because now I have enough confidence in the work that I've assembled that I can actually put something into print. And I think that, not that I think anybody's going to read my book or anything like that, but I just feel like at least having the resource, like the same resources that I have will enable people to understand Okay. And really that's all it's ever okay. been about is understanding. Okay. Okay. Informing, understanding, clarity. Pushing past the fear. Yeah. I mean, fear is the biggest driver today. I feel like, like if you're trying to drive somebody in a direction, you use fear. Uh, I feel like we have parents afraid their kids are going to hurt themselves to do extreme things. People are afraid the earth's going to blow up. Or people are afraid, you know, it's like whatever you're trying and understanding is the antidote to this. And then beyond just being the antidote, um, there are purposeful lies being sown into the world that we live in. Like our foundational truths from a historical perspective have been completely skewed to this crazy narrative. Like just as an example, like if you go to um, the National Institute of Health has Uh, the genome project, which is like the official tasked project to like document the history of eugenics. In their first two sentences, they decry it as a pseudoscience, which is a complete miscategorization uh, of eugenics, but basically say like everything that you're about to read is bad. We've all, the science is in, everything's bad. Don't listen to anybody that you're going to say. We're not with these people. We're just telling you about it. And that's the whole tone around eugenics, which is completely just they're not even getting it right. Like, so there's no, it's almost like, like I was shocked at the fact that I didn't, or that I was wrong, but I can't really blame myself or anyone else who's wrong because all of the information out there is wrong. About eugenics, about population control. If you go back and read the source documentation, it was, it's a basic, it's, it's nothing what anybody tries to make it out to be. They try to make it like it was nationalistic, like, oh, well, you know, um, America inspired Nazi eugenics, you know, and that's a really famous tagline, but no, it wasn't national. 
eugenics was never a nationalistic thing until it was. Before that, it was an academic thing. The reason that it flourished in America is because they were building colleges like gangbusters. And they were building colleges specifically to spread these ideas. Oh, you know, and, and it's like, it's not like these are all phenomena that that was just witnessed. And now, now oh, over in Germany, now Hitler's like, oh, well, eugenics seems like a good idea. Maybe we should. No, uh, German education inspired all of the education in the schools and the, you know, that they were building the racial hygiene movement that started in Germany and France was over here in America. It's like, it's all influencing within the academic structure. So the whole premise of blaming one nation or another is completely false because it's it's like academia, like like casting it off. And anyone who looks at it should be able to tell that. But for whatever reason, the only people who are writing about it are like either inside of academia or trying to sell you some kind of sensationalist spin on a controversial topic. But, and it's but all is eugenics still being implemented? Eugenics is absolutely still being implemented. And it was it was being implemented under a different name, even, you know, just leading up into like the 1970s when we're talking about. I just posted an article from 1969 yesterday talking about all of this crazy eugenics stuff. But at that point, they were already calling it like social biology or, you know, kind of it, it was like control. like like a, a, a rebranding. And it was a rebranding for population control because the population control kind of went off the rails a little bit in Germany. You know, they had to kind yeah. of recalibrate the fifties is kind of about recalibrating their, um, their logic and, and like their reasoning behind population control. And they, that's when they started, you know, kind of breaking down what race is and really examining, you know, how they're going to do their approaches moving forward. And the ultimate argument was that, it's funny. It's like birth control is is going to accomplish what uh, eugenics was going to do anyway. So like Frederick Osborne, who is like um, uh, American Eugenics Society president and secretary, you know, one of the founders of the Population Council, like one of the most influential people in history, basically like uh, said multiple times, like uh, the birth control movement is accomplishing what the eugenics movement's set out to accomplish so there's no reason to keep basically like um adding more to the argument that needs to be there okay. if we can switch the argument to empowering women as yes. opposed to yes. empowering states then yes and uh, and i mean the the whole gender stuff uh the the u.s department of education for the first day of pride is said that we're on the backs, everybody should be whoever they want to be. And there's mm -hmm. a trans flag right there. And everyone should be whoever the lines, they want to be, unless that's a straight person who wants to have a lot of kids and yeah. you shouldn't be that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just, it, it makes obvious sense that that's, that's good. That, that is the good to, to sterilize yourself is actually, it's good. Yeah. I mean, they don't come out and say it in the in the documentation like that i found so far of that like oh well we need to start pushing this gender ideology because it leads to more but it sterilization. just it fits it fits right into the program right well what like, you see is they have or? they have annual goals so they have an annual decrease of like they want to they want like it's something like 1.5 percent of the population needs to 
you know, like that's their like annual goal to hit their final goal of, you know, if they have a 10 year goal every year leading to that, they need to see like a one point, we need to see these numbers drop by at least a percent. And it's funny, but those percentages align almost directly with them queering children. Yes. Yeah, it's like the less yeah. people that you have breeding and yeah. the, you know, the people who are breeding. If 30% of Gen Z so-called identifies as Q, that's 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 going to work in their favor. That's a load off the uh, resources. Yeah. And, and then not only that, they're more likely to be adopting um, because they get preferential treatment in the adoption pools and stuff. So that means oh. that they'll be raising more kids who won't be. It's It's basically interrupting the birth cycle with different ways of living. You know, and yeah. like there's this if you watch my new, my most recent video, um, there's this really great quote from H.G. Uh, Wells and Julian Huxley um, in The Science of Life, where they say, like, uh, like, perhaps a better way to elimination is to have the world overcrowded with sterile jazz dancers and joy riders than, you know, and it's like, well, fair play. Here we <laughs> go. Called it. It, June 1st. <laughs> May the season of joyriding begin. Oh man, you know, I, yeah, like, I think also it's hard because you can't just as much as everything is um, connected to the population control framework. It's also important to remember that um, the approaches and this, like, like the people who are are pushing all of these, you know, like the public, like, like Bud Light. And all of this stuff. This is um, reactionary campaigns. You know, they're 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 hoping for an overreaction because it's it's like that that's politically motivated. So you have it's like yes, while while the overarching goal might be trending in the right direction, the actual individual ad campaigns and the strategies and stuff like that themselves, you know, it, it's they're they it's like poking it's just they, they're just going to keep poking until they get responses and then each one of these responses they will blow out of proportion and they will run that a hundred times over even though it was a very rare occurrence and now you have you know um reactionaries reacting is what they're going for basically okay. yeah. which i i honestly think they're succeeding at a far greater rate than you know the opposition like ev even you know, people who are making advances like like Rufo and and um, like right wing policymakers who are like pushing back, they're doing so with bans, which. In my in my opinion, um, is like the exact opposite way you want to go with this, like like to actually start banning is to restricting. It's it's the same reason like no one would even. Well, I mean, no one yeah. would give a shit who Ginsburg was uh, if they didn't ban Howell. You know, that whole movement sparked out of a ban. Like the most popular, if you want to get someone, po I mean, they moved that one chick's poem to a different point in the library and she got three three days of pro like whole press coverage and promotion of a story that didn't even happen yeah. based uh, on the, this. The poet, poet that read it, Biden's inaugural address. Oh, and she was, yeah, not my favorite whatever. poet. Yeah by any stretch of the imagination but it's definitely like the narrative you, you're not going to beat authoritarianism with authoritarianism you know it's just it doesn't that's not how it works i just don't and i think bans are the tools of authoritarians and i think yeah. you know it's like i i that said i i have the utmost respect for for that 
all of those people doing that because at least they're trying to do something. You know, while I might not agree or like if I was in the room, I might suggest some other things. I really take my hat off to anyone who's doing something. Well, right what now. do you want to do then? Really, I, I'm I'm honestly just trying to finish my stuff and just trying to get it done. That's really, that's my whole, that's like build it and they will come is kind yeah. of my. Do you, but do you, do you have a positive vision? That's what I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah, I have, I have lots of great ideas, I think. But like yeah. I said, I think in order to even make them sound remotely relatable so you're not going to like, share them with me <laughs> well like give me you know give me like one what, little just one little slice of your jason's utopia well, bradleyville like, I mean, well like just a strategy in like let's see okay so like this addresses um what we're talking about right now and it's uh it's important not to play the role they cast us in um they're pushing extremes because they're anticipating an overreaction so i think like as a guiding principle strategically we need to stop responding to provocations um they're casting you as a character and yeah. you only further their them by even acknowledging it like if you just completely ignored these things it would have disappeared into obscurity a little bit um because we're not actually we're so busy reacting yeah and again we're acting we're reacting against long-term goals with short-term you know, it's like they built this masterwork. It's like a big clock and it has all these gears and the gears are all working in unison and they're all it's that's what it, the, the clock's moving. And we're here trying to put a spoke into a single gear. It's like that's not going to stop the clock. Like nothing is good. Like nothing we're doing right now is 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 actually affecting change. All it's doing is adding to their narrative so okay, that okay. they can. Sorry, I have to tighten have the to, grips. No, please. That's not a positive vision. That's still a critique. That's an absence of a vision. This is like a not, don't do this. Like a, what, what do you, what kind of person, what kind of life do you want to promote? Excellent pushback. But where I was leading with that, and I'm sorry, I take so long to get from point A to point B, but where okay. I was leading with that is what we need to be is proactive. So we need community engagement. We need to start doing the things that they're really good at. You know, um, just as an example, uh, I, one of my go-to suggestions is food banks. Like there is no reason that the right should not be leading in food banks, not only because that gets you into the agricultural space so that you can start having a foot in the door, you're feeding poor people. Okay. So when you're feeding poor people, you have the moral leverage to get into the discussion about, Hey, you restricting these farmers or you buying back this land or you doing this kind of thing is preventing us from feeding poor people. So we have this, this food bank game. Well, now we can do what they do with their current food bank game, which is propagandize the food bank recipients. So everybody's coming to the food bank. Well, when you come to this food bank, you have our posters on the walls. You have their different ideas being dispersed and dis, you know, disseminated to these groups based on positive community action. Yeah. And when you build positive community action, who cares if someone critiques it? Oh, this right wing food bank is doing this or that. Who cares? Ignore them. Keep doing you. Hungry people will keep showing up. And then eventually they look like fools that are just talking to other fools while we're actually doing things. And the and posters so, on the wall are promoting what kind of life? Well, you know, that's, again, um, anytime you have funding, you know, someone, someone is funding these food banks. There's going to be an ideological tilt. So obviously, I think the people who would be interested in posing a 
or in in funding a an opposing food distribution center would be doing so to kind of counteract the current ones. So the current ones spread more socialistic idealism mm-hmm. throughout and they that's that's how socialism spread, you know, is through food banks. That's how feminism spread. It's through food banks, it's through uh, these care centers and stuff like that. Hmm. So I think this one would probably if I had to guess would skew towards capitalist and I think it would probably also skew towards Christian. And I think that, you know, all of the things that are kind of on on the defense right now, by taking an offensive position and a proactive position, they would be, you know, pushing those ideas. But I'm not as concerned about the actual ideas or what the people are doing. I'm just saying that that's a much better way to to get people involved, yeah, you know, because yeah. then you have yeah. volunteers, you have it expanding in different communities, um, you know, getting into compete like if you believe capitalism is the answer to socialism get into these areas and actually compete with the socialists in in the areas where they're dominating you which is charity philanthropy environmental rights and regulation you know we can't address the environmental problem by becoming pro-oil or whatever this whole like like coal oil is awesome and everything sustainable is garbage and like it's no like there's there there is a middle ground there and there is also hmm. there's a need to not have conflict in, in involved in the conversation there's a need to actually have uh, communities responding to actual concerns you know everyone is against pollution no one likes factory farming not a person. There's not a person you can take to a factory farming is like, I'm okay with this. I think probably even the, the people who design the big stackable farms where all these animals live in, I'm sure they probably feel terrible. But getting involved in shutting down the factory farms is something everyone will get behind. It doesn't matter about your ideological reasoning behind like, oh, we're doing it to fight capitalism or we're doing it because, but no, it's like, it's almost come to this point to where now it's either pro-meat or anti-meat. You know, so you can't even talk about the factory farms on this side. And then on this side, all you talk about is the factory farms. And you're not allowed to acknowledge that there are lots of other ways of farming animals and that lots of people are trying to do it better. And if we don't spread the word Mm. about the people who are trying to do it better, then that will never stop. You know, so it's like everything gets caught up in conflict and that's where it grinds to a halt. And then once the progress grinds to a halt... That's where the administrators come in because yeah. they're the professionals and they have the plans and yeah. they're going to do, you know, and that's, you say, if we want to stop that, we can compete with them on, in, in a place where we have not only the moral footing, but the leverage of if they're trying to stop us from doing this obviously good thing, they have to really explain themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's start my perspective. Are you going to start one? No, man, it's everything I can do just to finish the project I have. And like, uh, you know, it's like, I appreciate your work. I don't think that it's worse or or better than a soup kitchen. I think it's excellent, excellent work. Thanks, man. Yeah. And I do it all by myself for the most part. So it's like a a lot of context switching is my biggest enemy, you know, because it's like you spend a lot of time writing and then you get into the editor's chair and then it's like, oh, shit, uh, you're a little rusty. You know, everything you do, you're always a little bit rusty at when you're doing it all by yourself. So I'm trying to get better about uh, getting 
getting the content out, but I only have like, I have like three more videos that I want to make. And then uh, this compendium that I want to publish. And then I'm just going to spend the rest of my time just working on uh, like a comic that I, that I, that Ooh. I kind of, but yeah, it should be, should be cool. You going to draw the whole thing too? Wow. I've, I've had help um, illustrating and then I, but I'm, I'm teaching, I've, I've been, I've been teaching myself to illustrate, but I, I've been having problems with my hands, you know? Oh, and like, okay. I just, you know, uh, yeah, it's like, huh. yeah, I just, I, I've like developed this weird condition and like, it's just, it's like this whole weird thing. So, okay. Too much voguing late at night in the Orange yeah. County, like gay bars. <laughs> you got it. Uh, yeah, no, that's it. No, I, um, it's like this, it's, I that. guess it's like this M spike protein stuff. And it like gathers in my bones and like makes them hurt. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like a, like last year I got diagnosed with this. It's like a terminal condition, but it's like, it's just kind of playing itself out a little slowly. So it's just like, sometimes you just wake up and, and, and like, you can't use your feet or your hands and stuff like that. Or, you know, it's just, it's weird. The next day you're fine. You know, it's just, it, it has a little bit to do with diet and a little bit to do with things like that, but it's, Basically, it's like my body stopped producing um, the white blood cells, um, so at like like the immune system uh, that that like fights off germs or not germs, um, bacteria, and then part of that process has allowed for these. It's like these M spike proteins that they just accumulate in your blood, and then you know, it's like uh, that's where the bad stuff starts happening. It's like you know just pain hmm. I have a girlfriend and um, we were joking around and I'm sorry to bring this up but like it was just something that she's she said that I should include in every episode I usually in every episode with um, so what's the fun thing that brings you joy that doesn't have to do with what we've talking about okay um, but she wants me to ask like how what do you think about your own death I don't know, man. I'm not looking forward to it. It's kind of, it's weird. It's like, uh, it's finding out that it's, it's coming. It's weird. It's like, uh, that's been, that's been a hard one to, to wrestle. I think most of what I think about is, um, you know, not leaving my wife in a bad spot. And like, so like right now we're okay. And life is okay and stuff like that. But, you know, once the stuff really starts going downhill, that's where the medical bills start piling up and this, you know, the suffering and, you know, putting my wife through the ringer is the one thing that I'm not looking forward to. That's, that's really, I said like watching my grandma have to go through it with my grandpa was kind of tough. You know, she had to take care of him on the way out and that was kind of a long, hard way out. And, uh, that was, and they were at a very different point in their financial uh, history than my wife and I are. And, uh, you know, yeah, so not, not looking forward to uh, to what it'll be like. And I guess I'm less thinking about it than I am just trying to make the most out of the days that I have. And being as, you know, like every day I wake up in good health and feeling good and my hands don't hurt. Um, yeah. It's a good day, you know, I'm rocking and rolling. And then when, when they do, it's all about perspective. And I'm very lucky that I, you know, get to work from home and like, I don't have to, you know, deal with, and I'm very lucky that like, the, I'm just very, I have so many 
great things to to be happy about but when i think yeah i don't know there's the there's this old um clip of a japanese soldier uh talking about he was like a i don't know if he was a samurai or just like at the end of the samurai stuff but he was talking about like how much cleaner it is like he was supposed to die in battle and he's you know and he's just like I'm, man isn't supposed to die in a bed of cancer and rot and all this other stuff he's supposed to die in battle and it's like that's kind of like every time i watch that clip it fills me up you know mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. that guy gets me mm-hmm. it's like it's this weird yeah. motivating force of just i don't know attacking it i don't know man has this conversation has been very different than i anticipated but a lot well, more um, personal and yeah. and uh, a lot less pardon work me. focused yeah, no pardon don't. me for probing no pardon necessary dude like i said i i really enjoy your work and i think your uh your voice in the world helped me want to become a voice in the world because i sensed no agenda behind you and when i watched your stuff it was like you were really focused on making people understand and i felt you were trustworthy and i thought geez, this is in short supply, you know, you're not trying to sell me anything. You're not trying to do anything. And you're just, and, um, I've really like, I've kept you in mind while I've been doing this stuff. And it's just cool just to talk to you because you've been a huge inspiration to me. Well, I'm grateful for having that yeah. role. The, um, not to, uh, I, I apologize for commenting on your mortality it's no, your mortality. You can, it's between you. You don't and, need to apologize. Just it it goes it, it just it evokes like the people that you're studying, these masters of the universe and their hubris and you know, like Bill Gates, like he doesn't have to worry about being humble. I mean he he has he has a PR team to take care of, of him if if he gets caught like on Epstein's island or whatever, you know. Like, or he so, can just go anywhere in the world and just live there fine. Yeah. yeah he's fine. Yeah. yeah. But when we, when we face like our own limitation, um, it's an opportunity to have a deeper insight into why, why humans, like, why was I born? And there's just like, there's something about you having wrestled with why am I here? And then wrestling with the opposite. Well, why am I leaving? You know, like what, what, why was I here? Why am I leaving? I'm wondering, uh, is it, is that unfolding? Do you, do you, do you, do you glimpse some sort of peace? Yes. And well, not peace. Um, I don't know, man. I'm always trying to stay out of the territory of delusion, but at the same time, I self delude myself all the time. You know, I I try to convince myself that I have a purpose and that, um, I'm, you know, here to transform hard to understand things into easier to understand things to spread understanding or whatever I want to, you know, whatever story I want to tell myself to make it all feel feel good but i don't know if any of that's actually true or not it's just the kind of like the things i tell myself to like you know especially you know creating all this stuff and as much work as i do put in every time i release something it feels like a big kick in the chest when no one watches it it's like you you spent three months and countless hours researching before that and you did all this stuff and then you put it out and it's like 20 people watching it's like thanks for the 20 (laughs) people but it's like oh man it's so gearing yourself up to do the next one is always like a it's like a real who are you man and like right now i'm just kind of my who are you is a man who finishes things and i'm just trying to finish this thing and i'm almost done so that'll be cool 
Yeah. Well, again, phenomenal work. And I'm saying Thanks, that man. to you, um, but also to the audience, because they do need to to see this. It's phenomenal work. It's it's very challenging too, because like in our conversation, I'm trying to get your like your message, but it seems like no, I'm just going. I'm looking for the truth. I'm just looking for the truth. I'm just looking for the truth. And I see things. This is an inefficient. It doesn't matter, but this is inefficient. There's other ways to do things. So it doesn't it doesn't give you it from what I've ingested from your work. It doesn't give me like a like a message, it just, it informs me about what's going on and, and opens up like a, it stretches that frame. It breaks that frame a little bit. So I'm a little bit more, Thank okay, you. there's, there's the true enemy has not yet revealed themselves. Kind of that thing, you know, like, so it's very, it's very, and it, plus it's just aesthetically just incredibly well put together. I really appreciate you saying that. That really you means know a lot the to PBS me. didn't have any, any hand in this, you know, like our big production <laughs> yeah. company, like, you know, definitely, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. Everything you see is, is, is something that I did, uh, pretty much that I, I have had some friends help me. And when I get stuck and stuff like that, I've, I've had to hire a couple people to help me out of a couple stuck positions, yeah. but, um, and then to help me get started and stuff. But yeah, since then, everything you see is, is me. And, and I appreciate that people come away from my work that and they don't know how I think about things and that's the greatest compliment I think I've ever been paid is that someone mm. still doesn't know my opinion after listening to me for five episodes yeah. and it's like oh cool good <laughs> that's, that's isn't that how it should be you know I don't know yeah. Yeah. yeah if I if I read someone's biography like I just finished the Henry Kissinger biography and it drove me crazy that Walter Isaacs kept weighing in on Henry Kissinger yeah and it was like who the fuck are you to just <laughs> gain your judgment on someone who's supposed to be the subject of your study. The subject of your study is meant for me to, you're presenting him to understand. I don't need to hear your, and of course he was wrong about this. It's like, who knows if he was wrong? Just tell me what he said and let me determine that. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is I'm just trying to show you what happened and let you determine right and wrong. And hopefully like fill in the blanks. I would love to have a conversation, um, sometime with somebody who's in, interested in this stuff uh, so that we can actually explore population history and yeah. the policies and things like that. If anybody ever comes up and you, uh, you need a contestant or a, a panelist, let me know, man, I'm, I'm geared up and ready to talk about this stuff at any, at yes. any point. Okay, good, good. Then I get to have you back. So we anytime will, we I would will love to proceed and, and find a, a second guest and you guys can talk over my head the whole time and I can ask clarifying questions. Like, whoa, 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 you do whoa, really whoa, good whoa. at that, by the way. Like <laughs> I really enjoy it. That's one of the reasons I really enjoy you is because so many people, um, myself included, uh, when some stuff gets over their head, they try to like fake it a little bit like, Oh, I got you. And I always really enjoy when you ask clarifying questions or when you push back and stuff, I think you're doing really, and you've gotten progressively better at that too. So just as a viewer, great job, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It, it, um, it's a long path towards accepting my own ignorance, you know, and, and, uh, and, and the gift is that I get to interact with my own curiosity, you know? So, so I have a friend in this, you know, like kind of going into like, I don't know anything, but, um, but I'm, uh, but I'm more and more hungry. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you again for, for giving me this opportunity to meet you. And uh, yeah, like I said, we went down a much more personal pathway than I had anticipated, yeah. but well, now we know each other better. Yeah, and, so. and, and now your audience and my audience can know the, beha the, the man behind your work. Yeah. Oh, so well, you, thank you for that. Since you I really appreciate yourself it. from it. So, you yeah. know. 
Yeah. And I talked about a lot of stuff that I'm not really used to visiting in my own mind. You know, that's another yeah. thing is I kind of part of my work is also distraction from what's going on. You know, I, I just I live in I live in history. You know, I'm in the 1930s in my mind most of the day. Yeah, so or in Skinner boxes. <laughs> Man, that was a good that was an interesting chapter, man. Rat lot, utopia. lot of fun stuff to talk that about. Stuff is so insane. It's it's fascinating. Um yeah. yeah. Important to learn about though. Like I said, if you ever want to have a conversation exploring behaviorism, population, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, anything like that, that's and this they're is all my tied world. together. It's all it's all tied together. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Wow. Scary. Awesome, man. Thank you very much, Jason. I'm gonna end hey. the recording now. Thank you, sir. Have a great rest of your day.